Well, I hope you're all keeping safe and well. This is our first live event, of course, since we went to lockdown again with the move to level five of the National Framework for Living with COVID-19. And with that move to level five, we're actually changing regularity of our live events again. So if you've been keeping up, we've changed a few times over the last few shows. We're moving back to a weekly show. But just to let you know a little bit about why that's happening, we're, we're actually just trying to make sure that the live events are mirroring a little bit um, aligning with the, the national framework. So when we move to level four, level five, we're going to have a, a weekly live event. That's what we're moving back to now is a, a weekly live event for the next few weeks. And then when it drops to level three or lower, we're going to again roughly align the regularity of our shows with, with those levels. So we'll drop the regularity to maybe every couple of weeks or so. So just to let you know what to expect over the coming weeks. We're going to be with you every week throughout November and uh, uh, until the, the uh, level drops in the National Framework for Living with COVID-19. So let's move on with today's show. What have we got lined up for you today? Well, first up, we have a new piece called Meet the Team. And that's a, a new series starting today that's designed to help you to get to know the people who make up the NCBI Labs team around the country. In just a few moments, we're going to introduce you to our technology training manager, Dennis Nolan. We're going to find out a little bit about his role in the team as well. So we look forward to that in just a few moments. But after that, we're also going to be talking about PDFs and accessibility. Now, that might sound incredibly exciting to you already, and maybe it's exciting enough already. But just in case it doesn't, we're going to be talking about some of the reasons why it is actually important to know a little bit about PDFs from an accessibility point of view, because it can actually make a big difference to how well we manage with various forms and documents. So stick around for that a little bit later on as well. And then finally today, we're going to be chatting to our regular live events team, Daniel, JP and Sean, and uh, we're going to have one of our regular guests uh, with us as well, Joel Lanergan, to talk about some of the latest tech news. So there's a few things that we're going to be talking about, such as new offerings from Apple, as well as updates to the Alexa device and the Google Nest rebrand, a few different things that we'll talk about a little bit later on in the show. So again, we look forward to that a, a little bit later on and we'll chat to our uh, panel about those. So lots to look forward to in today's show, but first up today, we want to give you a chance to, to meet the team, as we said. And for the first piece in this series, I'm delighted to introduce our technology training manager, Dennis Nolan. Dennis, you're, you're very welcome to the show today. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Jude. It's great to be here. So, Dennis, maybe you can give us a little bit of uh, just background information. Just introduce yourself a little bit to the, to the listeners. How long have you been with NCBI? Uh, very new to the role, Jude. I started on the 5th of this month, so I think I'm just going into my fourth week. Okay, so up and run straight away, and you're straight onto the live event. There's no mercy. Yeah, uh, it apparently apparently not. I didn't know, of course, being new to the to the team. I didn't know that this was the first time you've brought in this meet the team uh, segment to it. So I suppose I'm a bit of a I, I'm becoming a pioneer now as well. <laughs> That's it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, great. So tell us a little bit about your background, Dennis. Just anything that you you're kind of happy to include. Just maybe your background, your training, life before NCBI, if such a thing existed. 
Yeah, I will. Um, so my background, uh, I've been always involved, uh, always liked computers. Back when it was kind of black screen and white text and my friends were looking at me like I had two heads wondering why I was interested in technology uh, when they were interested in going out and doing other things. And while sport was always a, a massive part of my life, uh, I suppose it competed with uh, technology all the time. So I go back quite a long time in technology, but I've always uh, very much enjoyed it. I've loved it. In fact, I've loved what it could do uh, from way back when I used to look at applications and look at technology as a means to solve certain problems as I as I would see them. Um, I started from a working point of view then, Jude, I started in London. Um, I was working from certainly from a technology point of view. I was a data, database administrator in London. Um, I worked there for a number of years. I moved up to the north of England uh, and I started getting into computer programming um, and the, the kind of technical side of things. So from taking pieces apart and building them back up together. Um, and then from from that, I led into it led into training. So teaching people how to do what I had what I had learned in college, but mostly uh, from my own interest in it. Um, so the training started, I think I came back to Ireland then. At the, we had our first of two children, our, my daughter, and we came back to Ireland to live and bring her up in Ireland. And I started training then. And that was back in the early, in the, uh, I suppose, the early noughties. Um, and from that, I just, I think it was an element that I never could foresee. I, I quite like just getting involved in building things and my own way. But uh, it, the training from that day on, I've really, in, I've, in, I've embraced it. I've loved it. I've loved being able to uh, put across my knowledge to other people and see them benefit from it. And, and from then, so I've been involved in training now for, I'd say, the best part of 25 years, um, managing and delivering training. Yeah, wow, that's that's really interesting, and that ties in uh, as well a bit to your to your role, quite a lot to your role now with NCBI. So where where is it that you're based, Dennis? What what is your kind of role in NCBI at the moment? So my base is Tala, but I'm mixing it between Tala and uh, Drumcondra. I'm uh, I mix. I'd say I usually about three days in Tala, maybe two days in Drumcondra. Um, so that's that's my base. Um, and what my, my role consists of is I've, I've come into a very well established and very professional outfit of uh, the NCBI labs. And we've got a team of, of people in there who look after the requirements of service users from the point of view of, of delivering training around assistive technology um, to actually looking at devices and showing them how devices can work or in fact even uh, fixing a device for them as well. So that, that's where I come in. So I, I've got, a, a, I'm with a team of uh, trainers that cover the length and breadth of the country. Uh, and I suppose that's that's my, my job is coming in and seeing where they're at, trying to, from talking with them, understand what it is that they're all doing and seeing if we can, if there's any ways or anything we can add to what's uh, already on offer. Yeah, very good. So you're being treated okay there, are you, Dennis? They're not, they're, 
not being too hard on you, putting you on live events too soon in your NCBIRM. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not at all, Drew. There, yeah, there. I'm being treated very well. Uh, it's been I've been allowed kind of that that first three weeks. Uh, it's nearly like an induction for me, and I've been given that kind of that freedom and that space, that headspace to get mm -hmm. to know everybody. So it it would be I think much different had I been brought into the role and and dumped straight in uh, and expected to start running. I've it's been uh, it's been a really nice lead in. I've got to meet all the team on a on a one to one level, and especially with the the current environment where it's just it's impossible to meet them uh, physically. So virtually, I've met all the team, um, and it's been it's been an eye opener. It's it's, a, it's really exciting actually to see what's been done by by everybody because my training uh, before now it's it wasn't really in the assistive technology area um so it's it's been it's been very interesting for me yeah and that's it's always interesting to kind of come in with a different perspective as well to add to something that's already established so that'll be interesting are there any things that you've got kind of particularly in mind at the moment that you you want to look into developing or any particular projects you're looking at so I think I'm looking at what's already on offer and it's quite broad. Um, it's the and then I, I want to try and I'm trying to bring that all together into into one one place so we can all kind of get together and pull from one area all of the materials that we need or add to existing material. Um, so no, it's nothing particular. I'm just looking at what's what's out there already. Is I, I kind of keep an eye or my my finger on the pulse. I'd like to think on new technologies that are coming out or existing technologies that may have been improved, uh, and in doing that. Then and making sure that I suppose our training and our materials are up to date and match um, what's what's out there. Yeah, very good. That'll be a, a good piece of work as well, and uh, vitally important at the moment, isn't it? The the training, considering the change in in our dependence on technology as well. Yeah, I, I think so, and I think you you mentioned earlier, Jude. I think it's wonderful that we can just switch switch over to uh, being there for the service user uh, and and being aware of the conditions were were currently facing that that we are a resource that has kind of moved with those conditions so you were just mentioning yourself the live events now are going on on a weekly basis given the current conditions um so yeah i think i think it's great brilliant very good well that's been great to have a bit of a chat with you today dennis appreciate you having time to come on the show um i'm sure we'll coerce you back onto the show at some point in the future as well <laughs> absolutely Something for you to look forward to there, Dennis. Indeed it is, Jude, and thanks very much. <laughs> very good. Thanks a lot, Dennis. Thank you, Jude. Good stuff. So now on, on with today's show. As we said, we're going to be talking a little bit about PDFs and accessibility. Now, why is it important to know a little bit about PDFs when it comes to accessibility? Well, to help us with this, we're going to have our regular panel uh, but I think um, JP is going to be given some of the main information here. So maybe we can just invite a regular panel on and just to get us started here. Can we just explain a little bit what exactly are PDF documents? Why do people use PDFs? Sure. Hi, hi Jude. Um, so yeah, just, just to give us a bit of bit of uh, context, a bit of background, the P PDF is, is short for a portable document format. And it's a file with the extension .pdf. Uh, so PDFs, they're typically used to share and, and view read-only documents. So while keeping the layout of the page, 
And it's probably fair to say that everyone listening will have come across PDFs at some time or, or we use them quite regularly. I think about common uses for PDFs that include documents such as manuals and ebooks and application forms, even CVs. I just to name, just to name a few. Uh, just I suppose really the PDF was was originally created by Adobe Systems, and this is actually going back nearly 30 years, back in the early 1990s. And it's the intention uh, of Adobe Systems to do two things with the PDF. The first thing was that people should be able to open uh, documents on any any hardware or operating system without needing to have the app to create them. All you need is a PDF reader. And these days, most uh, people will have either Adobe Reader or a web browser to, to fit the bill, so to speak. The second goal was that wherever you open a PDF, the layout of the document should look the same. So it keeps the formatting of the text and so forth. So this means that it gives us the PDF um, kind of a huge amount of kind of versatility. You can you can send a PDF document to someone on a Mac from a, from a PC and vice versa. You can send it from something from someone sending a, a PDF from a, a Mac to back to a PC our mobile phone and it keeps the the formatting and uh, everything else so it's a huge advantage there yeah, so, yeah so can you not do that with with microsoft word for example just give us an example you, of what would happen if i tried exactly. to do that well, you, you can um however you, you you could be sure that with adobe using a pdf uh sending a pdf file it keeps the formatting plus this was the other thing is that maybe not everyone has uh microsoft word so whereas PDF reader is is is, is freeware. So yeah, I I, yeah. I agree with JP there, Drew. Them like, you can spend a long time making a Word document accessible. You have to pull in legacy text boxes. You have to pull in legacy check boxes. You have to section off the document in different ways and uh, protect certain parts and let other parts be ed editable. And it's very very time consuming to get it right. Mm. And yeah. then like like JP said, you could send that to somebody who's just using an iPhone. Uh, and they mightn't have Microsoft Word and what way do they go about maybe yeah. uh, I suppose I'm talking about in terms of if it was uh, an editable form yeah yeah uh, but if you were which is a common thing that is PDFs yeah. users so if, if you were to send it to someone who only had an iPhone and they hadn't got Word it kind of leaves them kind of stuck and then PDFs are more universal so you can download a PDF to any device and there'll be a PDF reader on that yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of gives a bit of a sense straight away that mm. the PDF is is almost like a universal reader in a way. So yeah, long as it's that, sort of translated exactly into it, PDF, then it's fine. I think that that's going back to when you know these, these were created back in the early nineties. Uh, that was yeah. exactly the intention of uh, Adobe Systems when they created these. It's interesting to go back when these were created. Um, they were an idea from the co-founder of Adobe Systems, Uncle John uh, Warnock, and he had the intention, I suppose, of moving uh, Adobe Systems to a paperless office, so people wouldn't need to print documents. That's why he came up with this. So it started off as an, an internal project uh, to create a file format so documents could spread throughout the company and displayed in any computer and any any operating system. And this this went from there over the last thirty years. It's supposed to become so popular now. Yeah, interesting. So that in itself, if if we were to kind of leave the conversation there, it yeah. sounds straight away that this will always be, it, it sounds very inclusive. It sounds like something that's going to let everybody be able to read the content very easily. But then we come on to the idea of accessibility. Are PDFs accessible? If I use yeah. it as a broad question like that, is that a question that can be answered? Yeah, it's a good question. And this, this really does come down to how the PDF files have been created. 
Uh, so PDFs are generally are created by exporting documents from their, their native format into a PDF. So just to give you some examples, typically a PDF document will be created in Microsoft Word, um, Microsoft PowerPoint, or sometimes even Adobe InDesign. But really it comes down to the, the native format of, of, of what's like what's being where, where it was created. Um, okay. So yeah, exactly. Now, as, as another point as well, as well as well as this to put to point out, um, is that many PDF files are are simply images of text as well, and um, that are created by just scanning hard copy documents, and that's obviously not great because it's it's not they're not accessible. Yeah, and that's very frustrating because, like you were saying, somebody went to the trouble of making an original document that is digital. Mm. And somewhere down the line, somebody printed out that digital document and then scanned it back in and saved mm. it as a PDF image. Mm. And therefore, all accessibility is lost and broken. So, I mean, that has no effect on a sighted person who might print out a document and fill out the form that way. Mm. But for someone who needs to access the information through a screen reader, that's, you know, in the past, that was an absolute, you know, full stop that you were not going to be able to access that information. And luckily now there are ways around it. It's mm. it's a band, it's a band-aid, like it should be fixed at the source, but yeah. there is OCR modes with certain screen readers that can scan that PDF from, from a, from a saved file and then produce the text digitally for a screen reader. Mm, yeah. So it's almost if we were to describe that to somebody, I guess it's kind of like somebody's taken a photograph of text, but it do, the, the device doesn't understand what the text is. It's like before we learned to read and write, I guess, if you were to look yeah. at a, a page of text, exactly. you wouldn't understand can, actually exactly. what it's talking about. You'd yeah. see it, but you wouldn't understand it. And the screen yeah. reader is just going to read out like graphic or unlabeled graphic and yeah. all the information and it's lost yeah. when it was in the past. Now there, are, now there is ways, like I said, we can OCR it yeah. uh, or even in the past, people might have had to print out that document and then put it in a scanner and use uh, software like Kurzweil. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but now it's all, it, it can be done from the uh, from the system itself, yeah. which, which so is just what it is. Just to add into that that explanation there, when you mention OCR, just tell us a small little bit about OCR. What is OCR? Optical character recognition. So it's a digital way of scanning a document. Uh, like in the past, like libraries would have used it in the past to scan old books, make digital copies. And you'll often hear people saying, oh, I have the OCR version of such and such a book. And I know that because there might be a certain mistake in it, but it's gotten so much better since then and the technology has become so much more portable. Mm -hmm. Like pe people would have had uh, scanners or SARA machines or large devices in the past that you would have to put a document in and you know, 10 or 15 seconds scanning it and then reading back. Yeah. Now we have like seeing AI on our phone, which one snap and we have that document read back to us. Yes. Yeah. A popular thing in the past, um, Sean, just to let people, I suppose, understand what happened is in offices, somebody would request, you know, some some information to be emailed out to them or, you know, a form maybe to be emailed out to them. And, you know, usually somebody in the office, oh, there's there's one uh, actually printed, you know, that's being printed off. Stick it in the scanner, scan, scan that onto a USB went back to the computer and emailed it out. And that's where an awful lot of these um, documents, as well as came into existence, that when they hit a screen reader, then you're just getting that image message the whole time. Mm. Yes, yeah. So it's kind of circular as well, isn't it? Because it's like it starts digital, goes into yeah. copy and then ends up digital again, but not particularly good digital. Yeah, and yeah, that makes that, that even makes it harder to edit then when that becomes 
people's first version of that document like mm. because it's an image you can't go in and change it you can't go in and rearrange it yeah well if you can locate the original document which is digital it allows the end user to do so much more with it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and joe here uh, jude um yeah also the jaws brought in the ocr feature and uh, that's what it's 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 most used for that actually reading inaccessible pdfs mm. uh, so um Sometimes JAWS will automatically call back to you if it's if it's um, inaccessible and uh, offer to OCR the document f for you. And yeah. if it doesn't, if it doesn't, you can just press the applications key and go down and OCR the document. I think um, JP actually covered it in a previous live event. There's a video out there. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So so that's, that's not a way nice. around it. But um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, definitely best to go back back to the source and best practice there and make it accessible from the start. But yeah, as Joe said, you, you definitely do have the option to use the convenient OCR in JAWS. And as far as I know, the more recent version of JAWS, uh, I think it's 2018, certainly you're, you're prompted with a message to say that you can perform the convenient OCR on the document that is an image file. Yeah, very good. Okay, so just from that perspective then, because that that might be something that people have heard a little bit, maybe if they've got JAWS and they've had the prompt coming up about that. Mm -hmm. um, what what else might somebody see? Let's say they've got an accessible PDF document in yeah. front of them and yeah. then one that's not accessible. What's yeah. the difference? Sure. Well, I suppose essentially a PDF document is considered assess accessible if it can be used by anyone. For people with sight loss, the PDF should be fully accessible, obviously, using assistive software. Uh, I say it could be JAWS, it could be NVDA, be voiceover on, on your iPhone, your iPad, or also with screen magnification software. Um, so it's that that's ultimately the, dif the difference is making it accessible to everyone. But there are obviously things that we can do to make uh, an accessible PDF accessible as well. Yeah. So how, how would you go about that? Sure. Well, first of all, it, it's possible to check the accessibility of a PDF document uh, and make the changes that are needed using software at, at Adobe Acrobat Professional. It's something that we do here in NCBI. The lab team are quite involved with this, this kind of work. So if we take a look at some of, of the characteristics of an accessible PDF, and this is obviously an exhaustive list, but some of the examples, it might include like things like one very important thing would be a logical reading order. So this is the order in which a screen reader reads out the content in the document. So this often would find needs to be adjust, adjusted. So to say, for example, if we open a PDF and the screen reader straight away reads out maybe an item halfway down the page, it could be a, an image file or maybe some text or a paragraph that's not at the top of the page, then this will need to be reordered in Adobe Acrobat Professional. Um, that, that's one very, very kind of, uh, I suppose, important thing to fix, just kind of a logical reading order so that the text is read from the top of the page downwards. Yes. Uh, yeah. but there are, there's plenty of other things. I mean, to give you some other example is uh, another thing that kind of characteristic that we'll be looking at for is make sure that there's alternative text or alt text included for all the images. So this should be provided for any images that are featured in the PDF. So the screen reader user can understand the, the message that's being that's being conveyed in uh, the images that are featured. Uh, the idea here is that the text inserted should be kind of quite succinct and, and, and accurate, so not, not too kind of long-winded. We don't want a full description of everything going on, but just keeping it quite succinct, concise. Um, and we find this could be particularly useful if maybe if there's a graph or maybe some infographic uh, on, on, the, on the PDF that mm. you know, there needs to be an alt uh, text attribute for. 
So a little kind of summary description almost. Of exactly. What yeah, yeah. Other things that we look out for uh, would be a heading structure. So screen reader user would often use a heading structure to navigate the content of the PDF. Mm. This would include headings, um, so headings like heading one, heading two, and so forth. Um, it just makes it easier, to much more, much more straightforward to navigate uh, the PDF using the the uh, screen reader. Um, very, very useful in, in long documents. I'm just thinking you know, one example. What might would be our, our weekly technology newsletter. Um, so maybe someone is interested in going to an article, uh, maybe two or three you know, articles in, in, into the newsletter. They want to get to that one, they can just press H, for example, if they're on, if they're, if they're um, going to want to go to that one. But there are other, other examples. For example, our Insight Magazine, our, our quarterly uh, newsletter, they can press H to go to the next heading and the next heading. And um, that's where the heading structure kind of comes, comes into play. I, 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 I think with the layout, now, a lot of PDFs are made by graphic designers and they're, uh, they're bringing in like maybe the images first and then bringing in the spaces they want to put text in and then they're populating that text. Yeah. So each, each, as each thing gets brought in sequentially, it's giving a reading order because the screen mm -hmm. or well, sorry, mm -hmm. the PDF thinks that that's going to be the first thing and that's going to be the second thing, even though you've placed it midway or near the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's why JP like uh, is talking about going in and then manually rechanging that reading order. Yeah. So the graphic yeah. designer is making a digital copy, but he is also putting in order. Yeah. In terms yeah, of what yeah. a, what a computer would see, so that has to be fixed. Yeah, I think that's very interesting actually, because mm. unless somebody comes from a background where they've been working with accessibility or maybe a programming background or something, yeah. you're not necessarily going to intuitively know what the logical reading order is no, because it's yeah. different from how it looks. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think yeah. the point of like sort of discussions like this is it's to give our listeners an idea of what the problem is so they can also report it back confidently to people and say, mm -hmm. Well, it is digital and I can read it, but it's completely, you know, all over the shop in terms of it doesn't make any sense because it's reading this part of the article first and this part of the article second. Yeah, yeah. And it's allowing people to sort of at least have the knowledge of why it's doing that. So when you describe there just how how a PDF document can be made accessible, is that something you mentioned a particular piece of software, but is that something that anybody could do at home or do you need to have a bit more of uh, background and a bit of training as to how to make a PDF document accessible. You 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 would need uh, the tech the, the the application to see and break down the document into the reading order and the heading structure and uh, the all text. Right. So so that not everyone would be able to do that at home. And also it's it's a very visual thing because you're looking at the elements on the screen and looking at the current reading order and then having to change that order. So there's no way for a non-sighted person to fix this as of yet. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's important to, to know as well. Yeah, which is a, which is something that you know. Hopefully, in the future, that they can kind of find a work around that because at the minute you visually have to see, oh, that's got reading order seven, but yeah, it's the first thing on the page that should be reading order one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So in other words, if if I was to if I if I've got vision, but I don't have the, the right package, I can't do the job. And if I've got the right package, but I don't have any vision, I can't do the job. It needs to be you need to have to kind of know how to be able to make a PDF accessible if it's yeah. not already. Yeah, and hopefully in the future that will change. Don't. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, 
So tell me something, when it comes to actually creating a, a PDF document, let's say somebody is making it from the start and they're trying to make sure it's access accessible. Is it kind of, is it left to the creator of that document to work out how to make it accessible, what works best, or are there certain accessibility standards that a PDF document should adhere to? Yeah, well, it's a good point. I mean, it's a good question. The, the important thing here is to note that, you know, regardless of, of the origin of the document, it is best to ensure that it's accessible in its native format before it's exported to PDF. But then there are certain accessibility standards that a PDF PDF document uh, could could adhere to, which is uh, something you know could, could definitely be worth you know checking out for someone who is um, assessing a PDF at the accessibility of PDF. Yeah, um, yeah. So to just give me a couple of uh, some information about that, um, there are accessibility guidelines that are actually available from from two separate organisations, which actually recommend how to make PDF documents accessible. Yeah. Uh, just for starters, there is the International Organization for Standardization, or what's known as the ISO, um, and they've made available what's called the PDF UA, which is uh, Portable Document Format Universal Accessibility. And these were produced, I think it's about maybe seven or eight years ago. And uh, basically, it's a document from the ISO uh, that contains recommendations on making your PDF document accessible. Um, but to complement this, there's also uh, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, uh, WCAG 2.0, um, and more recently, WCAG 2.1, which was released in, I think it was June 2018. And uh, many, I think a lot of people lis listening in might be familiar with this. Uh, these are guidelines that have been produced uh, or developed by the World Wide Web Consortium, or W3C. Um, now, I think a lot of people listening in will be familiar with W3C because uh, they have the goal of making web pages and web applications more accessible. But not everyone might know that they uh, actually have guidelines in relation to making PDF documents accessible too. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. Um, so they are, they, they use, like if you, if you look at the um, web content accessibility guidelines, um, they provide a list of testable, what are called success criteria for making PDFs accessible. Uh, and what's more, they actually help determine the PDF's conformance level as well. So it could be A, AA or AAA rated with AAA going, being the kind of gold standard, what everyone wants to, to strive towards. Uh, it, it kind of works a little bit similar, I think, I find to, to like the VER rating of, of a house, you know, your energy rating you know, yeah. is, 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 yeah. is best, obviously, and that's kind of how it works. So everyone is, it will, will ideally, will, will every document should be AAA rated. Yeah. yeah. But there are like there's, there's, there's a huge, huge list of, of these success criteria that are available online mm. from the W3, sorry, W3ESE website. Um, I mean, to give you an example, like I, I was looking at earlier, yeah. there is a success criteria, I think it's successes criteria 2.4.10, and it covers section headings. It says section headings are used to organize uh, the content of, of the PDF document. So it's, you can more or less check that off if you have that in place, move on to the next one. So it's quite an, ex say quite an extensive list. Yeah, 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 like a checklist to work to. Yeah. So is that like when when NCBI are doing something like Insight Magazine? Yeah, and um, that's how it's that's, followed, is it? We, 
Exactly, exactly. So then we then we can give it a, a statement of conformance to say this PDF this PDF meets accessibility guidelines set out by uh, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 2.0. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So so what if people are still having an issue, maybe reading a document that should be accessible like that? Um, is there is there something that might cause that? Yeah, a thing like that, Jude, uh, is sometimes when you're navigating on your computer in a Windows environment and you navigate to the PDF, it actually, browsers are trying to be helpful to everyone, so it actually opens in the browser. Yeah. And that can sometimes strip away the accessibility or the browser itself isn't supporting that accessibility. So if there ever is a PDF online, it's recommended for PC and laptop users is to download it. You know, you can shift F10 over that link and save as and save that wherever you like. And when you open it with Acrobat Reader, mm -hmm. all that accessibility functions are there. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody has been having any issues with something like Insight Magazine, for example, just try and make sure that it's downloaded is the key, the key thing. Absolutely. I think um, it'd be great to get some more feedback from uh, end users. And I know people in the past used to get it in a Word document and sort of other versions and like obviously it'll always be done in Braille and things like that. But with the Word version, like we were saying at the start of the, the chat here was like we're limiting the people who can access that because it's not universal. Like someone on an iPad, someone on an iPhone, that might be their only device because they're so you know, a, a phone now is so multifaceted that you can do everything on it. So you might yes. not, you might not feel the need to ever buy a laptop. And then if we send out a Word document to people as our main version of a of a magazine, we're sort of cutting off people from being able to use it. So even on your phone, it's going to have a PDF reader, yeah. and it'd be worth knowing how well that can interact with the accessibility features within the document because like JP said, you can put in the heading structure, you can navigate through the document much quicker. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So if if anybody does have some feedback that you can give us on that, that's that's excellent. Yeah. We love to get feedback, particularly with um, if you let us know what system you're using, what device you're using and uh, what the difficulties are, if you've got any difficulties. But of course, let us know if it is working well as well. And that helps us in our development. Yeah, very good. So. One of the things that maybe people might think about with PDFs is the use of forms. Now, a lot of people might come up with maybe a form on a Word document. We've spoken before about the general thing of the difference between Word and PDF, but why is a, a PDF a good option for, for even things like forms, which need to be editable? A PDF is a good option there because if you spend time and make it accessible and you put in the text fields, you know, like I said, it's not just on a computer. You can navigate to these fields. It would also be on your phone or portable device or whatever device you are using. So you're able to fill out that form and then email it back to whoever is compiling it or compiling that information. Mm. But likewise, you know, that that's a very good way of doing it. It's, it's better than Microsoft Word. It's better than other versions, but an online form is better for everybody. Okay. 
So uh, explain the difference there a little bit. So you're talking about an online form that is it. So in this case, we are talking about getting access to it via browser. Yeah, so if we were to email a form out to someone and we created it in Microsoft Forms, we're fairly confident that all features within that form are accessible. So therefore, whatever device it goes to, like we're not going backwards through that, uh, creating that form, then making it accessible, then sending it out. So from our point of view, it saves a lot of time from the end user point of view it's straight away you get the form in the email you click it you're browsing through your browser you're quite familiar with that yeah. and from our point of view is we're not actually receiving loads of forms and emails and then compiling it it's all been compiled under one sort of location yeah very so good. like so they're, they're like in the hierarchy of things like pdfs are really really high but if it comes to a form maybe an online form is better yeah very good. That's good to know as well. So just with, with all of these different aspects of PDFs, obviously not everybody, if we weren't familiar with them beforehand, we're not going to remember every aspect of this. But if we are in the situation of needing to make a PDF document accessible, um, who could who could somebody contact if they wanted to make a PDF document sure. accessible? Yeah, well, yeah, this is a service that uh, NCBI Labs provides. Um, so we do regularly check our kind of uh, internally produced PDF documents. You know, we mentioned the Insight magazine earlier on, uh, but we also do this for several public and, and private companies too. So they can just send an email to labs at ncbi.ie. So if you have if you have any kind of queries regarding making a PDF accessible, you can just email ourselves and we can we can check it out for you. Perfect. Very good. Thank you very much, um, JP and Daniel, Sean and Joe as well, um, for your input into that. It's one of those subjects that, while it might not sound the most exciting to start with the idea of PDFs, actually because we use them so much, it's important to have a little bit of a, a concept about um, what makes them work and if we're having difficulties, why that, why that might be. So appreciate your input in, into that and uh, that's very helpful. Now, if anybody does have any questions relating to any of the subjects we're talking about today, so PDFs particularly at the moment, um, please do uh, send us in your questions. So you can use the panel on the right hand side if you're using Microsoft Teams. You can send us a question there or you can email us at labs at ncbi.ie and uh, we'll try and get back to those before the end of the show if there's uh, any particular queries there. Very good. So now we're going to, to move on a little bit and uh, we're going to think about some of the, the tech news recently. Now, we've actually had a few different things that have come out in recent weeks um, that, uh, that we want to talk briefly about. Some of these things we're going to talk about a little bit more in depth in uh, maybe a future live event. Um, but first of all, maybe we can just, we have our panel still with us, so maybe we can just um, ask our, our panel to comment on one or two two of these things. Now, first off, I understand that, that Google Home is basically no more. We don't have yeah. Google Home devices as such anymore. Yeah, they seem to have been rebranding that slowly over the last year. And now with the new release of the the new products in terms of the, well, it's Nest Audio rather than we used to call them Google Homes. Uh, so the overall term will be Google Nest. And then for the, for the speakers, it'll be Nest Audio. So there's a new one being released now in November or towards the end of towards the end of this month, anyway, but November, and it'll be around 98 euro. 
but it's a much larger speaker than than like an elect an Alexa um, dot. So it'll be around the size of the full size Alexa, but maybe slightly bigger. It's kind of almost the size of a, a lunchbox. Yeah. But with, 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 with curved edges. And uh, what makes this one different, I suppose, is there's a privacy switch on the back for people who feel that they don't want the speaker listening at certain times. There's a physical switch where you can slide and then the speaker can't respond to you. That'll be in software also, but there is a, a physical spe a speaker. Yeah, okay. And that's kind of, so it's basically just a rebranding and there is a, a new speaker coming out. Is there, is there more than one? Is it, is it a whole range of products or is it just one main difference? Uh, well, there's, there's one new product and that, that, that is the Nest Audio. So that's yeah. the first one they're releasing. They will, be, they will probably be releasing different versions of that in the next few months. But it's, it's mainly they're releasing that one because of the merger of the two sort of terms, Google Nest and Google Home. Mm. And um, I think Nest was just a bigger sort of company in terms of, you know, all the home products like your home heating and your yeah. sort of alarms and cameras and things like that there. So it made sense that the... That is the overarching term, and then like the audio is just like ways to maybe interact with those other devices, monitor yeah. them, and uh, like they're talking about putting things like if you leave the house, it'll know your phone's no longer in the house, and therefore you, you can set up a routine to maybe turn your heating down a little bit or turn the lights off, oh, and you can good. set and you can set that up for multiple people, so it's not just your phone. You're not going to, and then the wife has to sit in the cold house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that wouldn't be too advisable. I wouldn't, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that progress necessarily. That no, no, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So they are allowing multiple multiple devices. So even the kids' devices and things like that, if if they leave the proximity of one of the sensors or the nest, and therefore then you can set up a routine. Maybe I'll dim the lights here or I'll lower the heat to a certain degree. And as soon as you come back in, it'll go back up. Brilliant. Very good. So that's something to, to keep an eye out for. Now, on the other side of things, we've got um, Apple's uh, developments recently. I hear there's been uh, a few different developments. Not not hard to hear that there's been a few developments that have been fairly public about it. I, th I, th I think Apple sometimes put out some bad news so it'll get loads of publicity. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that's why there's no there's no power bricks coming with the, the phones. Uh, er, er, literally everyone on the planet's talking about that and that's great. Yeah. Uh, Advertising one way or the other. Yeah. It's yes. good for the environment. Good for the environment, though. Uh, yeah, it might cost you a lot of money, but <laughs> <laughs> save the world in the long run. Absolutely. So, on the positive side, what have Apple got for us now? Um, JP, are you could take that sure, one. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, um, some summarizes might be aware the Apple launched the iPhone 12 and HomePod Mini speaker recently. They actually had their virtual event and their headquarters in, in Cupertino, California. And it was it was interesting. It was titled High Speed, that's H-I Speed. And it's kind of a reference to the iPhone 12's new 5G capabilities. Um, so uh, Apple launched four new iPhone 12 phones. This included a new mini version as well. Uh, the iPhone 12 range uh, has a new case design. It's meant to be quite similar to the iPhone 4 and the 5 models with kind of flat sides, which are quite popular. Um, all four devices have uh, 5G connectivity. 
um, has cameras that are screens and are reportedly, this is interesting, must be four, four times more likely to survive being dropped. Uh, they have a new protection called ceramic shield uh, to cover the covers the glass, so it's supposed to be more uh, durable, these phones. I wouldn't put that to the test, but that's <laughs> don't, don't go around dropping it four times more frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one thing I found interesting was that they don't include a charger or earphones with the device. Um, it's yeah. supposed to be Apple, but Apple are, are claiming that it's got an environmental push on, on cutting cutting out waste, but they do provide a charging cable. Something. No headphones. Uh, they don't provide ear, earphones or a charger. Yeah. And that, that charging cable is USB C to USB Lightning, isn't it? So you have to buy a new charger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, I suppose they were finding. Um, the lightning headphones they were selling, possibly a lot of Apple enthusiasts will would have bought the AirPods. So mm. maybe the other uh, lightning headphones were a waste, a waste for a lot of people, you know. So I suppose there is some thought put behind it, and also yeah. it, it does encourage people to buy the AirPods as well. Yeah. Yeah. Although other other um, Bluetooth headphones will work with with an iPhone. You don't have to go for the more expensive models if you don't if you prefer not to. I do I do agree there. I, th I think but buying the new charger uh, is probably beneficial in the long run because like they're all new fast charging and like nobody has to charge their phone overnight anymore. You can plug it in and within an hour and a half, two hours the phone's fully charged. Yeah. And also you can buy um wireless chargers now which are great for people with visual impairments. You don't have to go uh, searching around for this the little connector at the bottom which can break quite easily. You can yeah. leave it on a charging pad overnight. Yeah. And it charges a little bit slower but th th that's no big deal uh, yeah. considering um so, well, the, the, the new iPhone 12 charger the magnetic one. I think I think that charges quite fast though. Yeah, so I hear yeah. It's, um I know a lot of people won't have their hands on the iPhone 12 yet, but um, yeah, well, it's good to yeah, know about the technology out yeah, there, though. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, as well, uh, th there is other features coming. I think it's only in the iPhone 12 Pro models, which to have uh, I think is three cameras in the back, but it also has a lidar detector. So I suppose the lidar is going to become a big thing in apps, mobility apps, and things like that. So. For example, technologies or uh, devices that have it already are self-driving cars um, and uh, robotic hoovers, and they do things like map out the area. So they can map out rooms in the house. They can map uh, it's it's emit light. It, it emits light and detects um, exact measurements of areas, and it can detect objects and the shape of objects and, and how far away they are. That, yeah, and yeah. and um, so it can tell you. It could more or less by the by the time they have got to grips with all this technology and developed apps to work with it, I can see it working with the likes of um, Microsoft Soundscape and things r really well with things like that. And other, I can see loads of mobility apps being introduced. There's even people claiming that uh, it could, it won't replace the cane or anything like that, but it'll give people a lot more confidence with the cane and, and tell them they're, they, they, how far they are away from objects and things like that. It also does depth perception, which there's nothing out there that does depth perception at the moment, really, but um, LiDAR will. I think it'll definitely augment skills, like you're saying there, Joe. But yeah, replacing replacing the cane is probably a long way off. Yeah, no, I do. That's why I said it it'd never yeah. actually do that. That's I know. I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. This this will will support the use of of mobility um, aids. 
I suppose even it's better than any better than anything they reckon in the future. It'll take a year or two for all these apps to, to catch up and get it into their system. But there's a lot of talk about it now, and it's very exciting for blind people. I suppose you'd be even make a simple app like a ruler that would measure something that was small enough with the phone. Mm. You can measure yeah. the height. Or, you can measure the height or length or something. Well, actually, at the moment, it will. It can actually already. It can measure the height of of a person. So you can point the lidar cameras at somebody, and you can find out how tall they are. So that'll just show you how how quick it's been integrated. But if you can imagine, um, this this has been used in the self driving cars that are um, being um, designed. You, you could. You could actually see that how it will be used in mobility apps in the future. It, you know, if they're able to find how far away they are from things, I, I yeah. can see how we can use it. Yeah, I, good. I, so, go on. I was just saying, I, I think it's a great idea. I, I think, I'm just going to say, out of, out of everything and the new iOS 14, I've probably been using the back tap the most. Yeah. Mm. So just to describe to people what the back tap is, because they, they might not have it on their, they probably won't have it on their, their phone if it's an older one. Is uh, my will I take that? Or yeah, I think yeah. should. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That back tap. Um, back tap. It's in the accessibility options, and basically it allows you to tap the back of your phone twice, and the other option is to tap it three times to um, access. Uh, uh, some accessibility options on your phone. Well, that, that's yeah. the main idea of it in the first place is is for accessibility, but it can be used for a lot more than accessibility. So, for example, you can you can set it up to um, start voiceover. So you could tap the back of your phone twice and voice for voiceover on. Or if you had a visual impairment and you had some useful vision, we'll say, and you used a magnifier on your on your iPhone, you could set the back to back tap twice to start up magnifier rather than even using Siri or if you want to be more discreet with it or, or if the bus is coming and you 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 generally uh, look at the which see which bus is coming by using your iPhone camera or, or something like that depends on the person of course but just to access it really quickly it's, it's a good way of getting it up you can uh, the other other ideas um I won't spend too much time on it. Other ideas people use it for is if they have Siri already. Another way to get another assistant up. If you have Google Assistant in your phone, you can you okay, can do good, a good, a good assistant. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There's your second option for the <laughs> Android enthusiasts. But, um, <laughs> so you can press. You can you could use maybe the three three taps on the back of the phone to open the assistant. Yeah. Or, I think uh, I think it's good that we went of, we went from one shortcut now to three accessibility short or three shortcuts. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, things very accessible for people yeah. on the phone, which is great. Yeah. It's also very good for people that, that. Am I right in saying that that's just iPhone eight upwards at that time? iPhone eight upwards, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, yeah. iPhone yeah. seven. I was searching it there, and no, it is back up. I thought maybe the update didn't install right or something. You have to get an iPhone twelve, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, they do oh, phase out it, these. Yeah. Phase out these things. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So just that was the uh, iPhone. Was there there was uh, another um, release from Apple as well, wasn't there? There, uh, there was. There was exactly. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah, with with the iPhones, I know I heard claims that it's, it's supposed to be good now that Apple have reportedly reportedly made a, an iPhone available for every budget. So if you think about the iPhone SE, yeah, it's just under five hundred euro now. I think the iPhone twelve Pro Max, which is I don't think it's available yet. I think it's going to be a pre-ordered available for pre-order on the sixth of November. I think that's going to be about sixteen hundred uh, euro. So it's a good broad range of, of prices. So yeah, we mentioned that uh, HomePod Mini speaker was 
also launched at Apple's uh, recent uh, virtual event uh, alongside the iPhone 12. Um, and this was released, I suppose, as a way to expand their uh, range of smart speakers. And so it's a new, smaller version of, of, of its HomePod. Um, it's similar to, to you know, what would what, what we'll be familiar with the Google um, Home and the uh, Amazon Echo. Yeah. Um, it's about, I think it's a three, three and a half inches uh, tall, has a, a kind of spherical design. Um, it costs about a third of the price of, of its, the original full-size HomePod, um, but includes all the, all the features that can be carried out using the virtual assistant Siri that we're all familiar with. I don't think it's going to be available until mid-November, they're saying, in Ireland. Uh, okay. Some of the features will include a new intercom system, which allows you to send voice messages from one HomePod to another around the home, uh, as well as other Apple devices. So if you have an iPhone um, or Apple Watch, you, you can you can it's compatible with those as well. Uh, also has an interesting a new hand off feature, so it allows you to bring your iPhone close to the HomePod Mini and it hands over the audio playing from the phone onto the speaker. It looks it looks pretty cool. Yeah, so other than that, it's been designed to work with uh, Apple Music, uh, podcasts, all your kind of popular radio stations on TuneIn, iHeartRadio. Uh, it's supposed to be compatible also with, in the, in the coming months, with uh, Amazon Music uh, service as well. Uh, so I think it's at the moment, uh, I got, I'm just checking, looking at prices, it's about £99 sterling. I say hopefully be available in Ireland for in the middle of November. Okay, that'll be an interesting yeah. one to I keep an eye on as well. It's going to be a big shaker in, in the market because I think uh, Apple did price themselves out with the uh, original HomePod, 300 euros. I know it, the sound was, was great on it and all, but it, because you could get Echo speakers and uh, Google Nest Home speakers for, yeah. I suppose, mm, less than 100 euros, yeah. um, this, this has brought down the price considerably and yeah, I think it will shake up the market there mm. and yeah. it's kind of funny that um, Siri was the original assistant but the other things have kind of taken over you know the other two mm. companies has taken yeah. over a little bit but this will yeah. bring them back in this will bring them back in a little bit again yeah. it'll be interesting to see what the take up on that is yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think it'll be big myself, especially with with, uh, with Apple uh, fans. Mm -hmm. But it definitely will be. It'll be good uh, coming towards Christmas for Christmas presents mm -hmm. as well, things like that. But I mean, you can buy two of them for two for uh, we'll say two hundred euros roughly, and um, you can pair them as they give you stereo sound. You know, that's another thing. You can also yeah. also move the sound from your Apple TV onto these as well if if it could yeah. improve the sound from your TV. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's I think I think it's going to be good as as JP was saying there. They're trying to um, bring things down to more budget options. So even they brought out a month about a month ago, they brought out a cheaper version of the i um, the Apple Watch. So it's the Apple Watch SE. It's yeah. It's only missing one or two little features, and I think that'll be another thing that uh, people will be branching out towards because because of the price. I think it's two hundred and fifty euros or something rather than. The usual. Yeah, very good. So just at the at the risk now of um, maybe starting up this debate again of Android and, and iOS, I, I know that Sean mentioned earlier about the, the, the fast charging of the um, the Apple iPhone. I have to say my, my Android device manages the fast charge in 30 minutes. I'm quite happy with that. So maybe that's a, a score for the, a score for yeah, the Android there. But this I, I, one, I have a Go OnePlus on. phone as well and I can fast charge. I can get about 75% in about 30 minutes and fully yeah. charged in about 55. Yep. 
I think I think there's definite marks here for the Android side of it. Now, just thinking about um, that kind of comparison of Android and iOS. iOS 14 is out, and you've got Android 11 coming out as well. Any particular features there that are interesting to look out for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's uh, as the lockout feature, which is this, which is the OCR mode. Uh, yeah. So you can, it's like it's like seeing AI. Now it's available on older versions, but it's kind of launching with Android 11. They're making sort of more, more people more aware of it. So it will scan a document. It will read back a document. I had a good road test of that there, Sean, the, the Google Lookout app. And I was impressed, like I have an old Samsung Galaxy S7 phone. And I gave it a road test on on that. And, you know, I was very, very impressed with what it does. It, um, it competes very well with the um, Seeing AI, which is the, I suppose, the Apple, um, where the, where Microsoft have provided that onto Apple platforms. Mm. And it's, it's, it's done locally as well. It's not, it's not done over... Uh, over the cloud, it's, it's actually yeah. That's that's one of the things I like about it. you can switch off your four G and or your Wi Fi, and uh, you know if you're even if you're out and about where reception is poor, um, it, it'll it'll work straight out of, out of the pocket, you know. So it's um it's fantastic from that point of view. Whereas the seeing AI requ requires that your snapshot is sent back to the servers for for computing and sent back to your phone again and the only downside to the to the app is you need at least two gigabytes of ram in your device to run it mm. but if you but if you've spent even half the amount on an android phone as you have on your iphone it'll definitely have two gigabytes of ram on it <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely it's great to have that option for um people who weren't able to get maybe the sing ai app yeah. um, and now to have a, a very good yeah. option for android but, is excellent the, the only one little fault I found with it was um, it's only doing US dollars at the moment in the currency recognition. So I said just for the laugh, I fired, I fired over a, a 20 euro note and it said 20 US dollars. <laughs> so, yeah. Is, is, there, is there something in world politics we don't know about? <laughs> yes, some, some, some agreement there on the currency. I don't know. Um, you first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that was that was that's the only downfall I could find with the with the app. And look, as as they say, like these things are um, a lot of the features are still in beta, so they're still being developed. Yeah. Um, another thing too is it'll download um, you know products. It'll try and recognise products. Um, depending on obviously where you're connecting to the internet. So obviously for Irish users, it's going to download um, a database that's kind of UK and Irish users to try and identify products that you know that are more sold here than let's say your US products. Yes. Um, now there are a couple of abs absentees off that, but I'm sure that's going to grow and grow and grow over time. You know, it's just like everything that starts off. Um, all these IDs are fantastic, and they just keep adding and adding and adding data to it, and eventually it becomes a great all-rounder. So I say that where this is headed yeah it'd be interesting to see the different refinements of that very good so what about this um navi lens what's what's that all about so navi lens is this new technology it's very very similar to qr codes mm. but where qr codes have such fine detail in them and you need to bring your phone very close to snap to picture uh with a navi lens code you can be up to three meters away to capture a small code that might only be like two inches by two inches. Mm. And it'll capture the detail in the code and then return the information that's needed. So Kellogg's in the UK have, have started putting Navi codes on certain boxes. 
as well as putting Braille on certain boxes. But the Navi code will let you open the app, you bring it within the field of distance to the box, and it will give you back all the information about that product in terms of, you know, nutrients, gram size, uh, what it is. Basically, everything you're getting on the box will come in that app. That sounds really promising. Sounds like there could be quite a few different applications for that. Yeah, absolutely. I've, see, I've seen it demonstrated in videos where the person didn't need the whole, like when we're wondering QR code, you have to get very close and very precise. Mm. The person just glanced the phone in the direction of the box and picked it up immediately. So what they're, what they're sort of trialing this is in larger cities, they're putting maybe, uh, you know, it could be 10 centimeters by 10 centimeter um, of these codes on track. At the, at the doors of train stations or at different uh, different signs to allow people to get the information how to get to certain parts within that train station. Yes. Where in the yeah. past you had to be very, very close to the code you're going to scan. Now you can just wave the phone and it will capture it almost immediately as long as you're pointing roughly in the right direction. That sounds brilliant. That'll be really interesting to see um, how, how widespread that gets and uh, how much uh, how many applications are made of that as well. So that'd be an interesting one to follow. Absolutely. Um, what about this final one then? We were talking about different kind of home speakers and things before the, the new generation Alexa. Is that out already? The, the fourth generation Alexa is going to be out now uh, for November also. I think they're all getting ready. I think they're all getting ready for Christmas for, uh, for, for selling these things. So the fourth generation Alexa in terms of like the version that would be like the dot, it's slightly bigger and it's it's spherical. It's like uh, it'd be like twice the size of a tennis ball. Okay. And the reason why they're going with that shape is well, the dot was a like a 360 speaker. Yeah. They found that nobody was actually putting them in the center of the room, so right. therefore, therefore the sound was being spread out too much. While well, now it's front firing, so you point it in the direction basically you want the sound to come out, and you're going to have better sound results. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. So that'll be, again, a good one to keep an eye on. And quite a lot of developments there recently in, in the tech world and different tech news that we've got. So well, even busy there. Even there with the fourth generation one, they're talking about adding things like Care Hub, mm. way for checking in on elderly uh, you know, family members and uh, tr truly Alexa device. And there's talk of an Alexa kids version, but I can only find the US release for that. I can't seem to find a, a European release. Yeah, so loads for us to kind of keep our eyes on uh, at the moment anyway. Loads of new stuff there and uh, appreciate all the information about those. Um, Sean and Daniel and JP and Joe, appreciate all the, the news about those developments. Very good. So hope you've enjoyed our, our show today. We've uh, gone through a bit to do with PDFs. We've had a chance to have a look at various new technologies out and about, and we've started our new series of Meet the Team as well. Of course, if you want any um, help with any of the devices that we've talked about, you're going to have to give, let us have a little bit of time with the new devices, of course, to, to make sure that we get a chance to have a look at them ourselves. But any technology questions you ever have, you can contact NCBI. And uh, just a reminder that if you want to, to do that, if you want support from the NCBI labs team, you can call us from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday on 1850-92-30-60, or you can email labs at ncbi.ie. And uh, you can avail of our wider NCBI services by calling 1850-3343. 53 or emailing info at ncbi.ie and of course as always you can 
make a donation to support our services at donate.ncbi.ie. That's donate.ncbi.ie. Or you can sponsor one of our live events at uh, by emailing uh, labs at ncbi.ie just to help keep our, our live events going, particularly now with the, the regularity increasing again. Now, just before we go, just a, a bit of a reminder of some of the things that we're going to be talking about in future weeks. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about the uh, that that news that we had there of the iOS 14 release and Android 11 release as well. Uh, we're going to be having a, a bit more of an in-depth discussion about that. We're also going to be talking about the Technology Training Centre. We flagged that on our last live event and we're going to have a segment on one of our future live events. Just talking a little bit about that uh, initiative from NCBI there as well. We'll also be introducing um, NCBI Labs Technology Trainer Miriam Kelly in our next uh, NCBI Labs live event, which will be on next week. And uh, later in the month, we're going to have a look at the Black Friday sale. So we're going to have a bit of a, a discussion there to see what sort of things are worth keeping an eye out for. So just a reminder that uh, our live event has gone weekly again. So our next event is going to be next Tuesday, uh, November 3rd at 2.30 p.m. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening on our live events, as well as plenty of more information that's in the uh, in the weekly news newsletter, you can subscribe to that newsletter on our website, or you can email us at labs at ncbi.ie if you'd like to do that as well. Great tips every week uh, that come out that can be very practical um, in the software that we're using for accessibility. So great one to sign up for if you, if you can. So all that's left for me to do today is to thank our panel once again and uh, to thank Dennis Nolan for coming on the show earlier as well and our guest uh, Joe Lonergan appreciate uh, the, the input throughout the show there as well. Of course uh, we want to thank everyone listening in as well and we look forward to having you all back with us for next week's NCBI Labs live event.